right. Thank you very much. I am awesome and humble. Well, we just, yeah. How many of you came to the basketball game? Yep. I didn't miss a shot. I was one for one, and as soon as the coach saw I was on fire, he pulled me out so we wouldn't, students would have a chance. <clears throat> Told him I didn't blame him. So, anyway, so much for my career. Well, you know what? This is so awesome. It's Mother's Day. You guys are right around the corner right there. Hi, you guys. Oh, you're looking at the screen. Good. It's a hot tub. We usually use it during the week. <laughs> Baptismal on the weekend. It's a multitasking thing. We're doing it because we're on a budget. Otherwise, we'd have a separate hot tub right outside a bill in my office. <clears throat> sure we would. So, well, let's pray and see what we're going to do. I already scrapped one message. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for the speaker. <laughs> Holy Spirit's the speaker. <laughs> okay. Holy Spirit, we just pray for your jo- your joy just to rest on people. Lord, we thank you that you're bringing in the nations and what a dream come true for all of us, for them, for us, that you're touching nations, that we get to be a small part of what you're doing in the nations. And Father, we just pray that your, your grace and glory would just spread to all the nations. Lord, that you would just yeah, touch nations in the deepest places. Lord, that you would cause us to be a time of prosperity. Let history record that nations changed in a day. <clears throat> that economies turn, that morality turn, that people turn to God in a day. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, um, I I know you're going to think this is funny, but I I really am not kidding. I was going to preach on false prophets tonight. (laughs) It's a true story. Actually, I was. I was been preparing all week for it. Then I told Danny that he looked at me, and I thought, well, Mother's Day, false prophets... Don't quite go together. So, I'll preach my second favorite message. Um, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and I'm going to talk about God's secret weapon, women. <clears throat> Come on. <laughs> I really... Um, I really feel like God's doing something special, probably always special with um, women, but there's a special season that's been on us for, I think, a few years, actually, where the Lord is really promoting. I feel like uh, several years ago, we started talking about a Mordecai season where Mordecai came along. Um, he was Esther's cousin, came along and, and encouraged Esther to to become queen and encouraged her in her and her influence with the king. And I, I really feel like it's a Mordecai season that, you know, seasons don't necessarily last 12 months. That's kind of the way we see life. But I, I, And Danny, I think, has done a really good job. Danny and Sherry have done a great job just really, you know, bringing that message to us that God is moving 
among our women and that God wants to reinforce this message that, that this, is the, this is the season where he's promoting um, uh, women into administering places of leadership. And uh, it's really an exciting season. I'm, it's kind of I, my, my personal story is my wife, Kathy, you guys, most of you know my wife. She's, she's been really um, just kind of the kind of person who loves to serve and probably one of the greatest servants in this church in my estimation. Always in the background, very intelligent, loves what she does, never complains. And that's just really the way it is. I mean, if you see something going on in this church, probably she has her hand in it someplace, somewhere. And she's been like that. I know she served Bill well for many, many, many years. And, and, um, and for years, I've tried to get her. And we used to do youth group together. She'd play the piano or, and lead worship, and I would... And I would preach, and we did that. We've just we've never done anything apart from the um, the month before we got married. She came to work as a bookkeeper in a in a repair shop that I uh, was working as a manager in. And from that day forward, we never we've never been anywhere where we didn't work together. And some people, you know, husband and wife don't work well together. I mean, just as far as job type thing, we we don't even know what to do without being together. I mean. When we're apart, um, <clears throat> when I travel, I call her from every single airport. So, yeah, and usually it's like at least three airports from anywhere to get, to get anywhere from here. I call her from every airport, or, and if it's late at night, I text her. And, and uh, it's, it's very common for us to say hi to each other eight, ten times a day, and we're really half a world apart because she's on this side of the building. I'm on that side, and all day long I'm just like... I hear the phone ring. She's like, how you doing? Good. We just, we're just so used to being together all the time and just never really. And we, we had nine businesses together, always worked together. <clears throat> and so, um, but Kathy's always been really never wanted to be in the forefront. Like never. Like I'm always like, and, and some people might who don't know me may have the impression like, you're not promoting her, whatever. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if she was here tonight, she'd be telling you, I have been telling her for 15 years. Why don't you get a message? Why don't you share? You got something to say. And the students are always like, why don't, like we shared, uh, every once in a while, though, um, Danny or someone will have Kathy and I come in and just share about our marriage or our life together. And, and after that, she'll get like 20 requests, like come and share with us. And, it's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Well, something happened about a year and a half ago. <clears throat> I don't know what it is. What happened? Like, she woke up one day and she's like, yeah, I'd like to teach. I'm like, yeah, cool, awesome. You mean like children's church or something? She's like, no, I feel like I'm supposed to share. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, I've been working on a message. She, she works on a message for like three weeks. And I'm like, oh. So, um uh, we did a conference. I forget where the first one was. Uh, I think it was in Texas. We did a conference in Texas and at Steve Fish's church. It was a great church, and we're great friends. And I just told Steve, hey, Kathy's going to take one of the sessions. He's like, oh, that's great. Please have her do that. And she took a session and just totally blew it up. I mean, they, <laughs> there was totally a lot more comments about her session, which I'm going to have to deal with some issues in my heart. I didn't, <laughs> we're there. <clears throat> but... uh she just honestly just did awesome. We went to Canada, and I said, you're taking a session. She's like, all right. Usually she's like, no, I don't want to. All right. Seriously? Yeah, I got something to say. I'm like, all right, good. You're done. 
And, um, and it's been like that for about a year or so. She usually, every conference, she, we travel a lot about 60-70% of the time together. And when I go to a conference, I always say to her, in the, at least in one or two of the sessions, do you have anything you want to say? No, not really. Are you sure? you got a lot to say. No, I really don't. Now everywhere I go, you, go, you got something to say? Yeah. How much time do I have? <laughs> Can you do it in 20 minutes? Hmm, I can cut it back to that. And something's, you know, really happening in my wife. And I'm like, I'm really, really, really excited for her. But I also see it as a prophetic sign. I, I, think, um, I think sometimes the Lord gives us people that become prophetic signs to us. So not only are they, do they have a message, but they become a message. And I think our home has been a prophetic sign for this church. And I, I'm not the only one, so please don't think I'm the only, think I'm it or something. But I think our home has been a prophetic declaration for um, our movement for many years. And watching Kathy have something switch inside of her has been, um, has been really exciting. It's really exciting for her. It's really exciting for me. And she really does have something to say, and she's, um, she's, she's gaining confidence all the time. And, and I, I, I was just laying in bed probably, oh, I think it was probably a couple months ago, actually, and I was just thinking about, like, the Lord is on this. Like, this is the Lord. The Lord is speaking to me through her desires, through her passions. And, um, of course, I've been watching the same thing with Sherry and with Benny. Benny, same, same way, probably a, f- a couple of three years earlier than Kathy. But, you know, I've watched Benny kind of be in the background, really fine with just praying in the background, and then and watching her just really having such a profound uh, anointing for public ministry and being in the front and leading. It's just exciting to see people that we grew up with who didn't really want, the, you know, the, to be up, up front, just really having a passion and just ripping it up. And I'm just, so, um, and I, I think it's something that the Lord is doing. I think it's an epic season that we're in. And I think that for some of the guys in the room, you're just going to have to get over it. Your, uh, your insecurity. I don't have any. Myself. <laughs> but uh, I thought we'd just look at some of the scriptures. And I, I think Danny's taken us through most of these. But um, in Genesis chapter 1, are you there? Um, <clears throat> verse 26, we'll probably start there. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him rule. Let them rule over the fish of the sea over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, I, I still wonder, I don't know, I know, my, I know I think differently than most people, which I sometimes apologize for. I just don't know how you rule fish. <laughs> I just get this picture like, fish come, you know. Sit, fish, sit. But whatever, you know, or, or bird, come bird. But... Whatever, creeping things. Man, I would love to rule over creeping things, wouldn't you? Just like, get out of my yard, get away from me. Go to the neighbor, the neighbor's yard over there. Verse 29, then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed um, that is on the surface of the earth and every uh, every tree which is yields seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth, which um, which has life, I have given to you every green plant for food. And, and God saw that what He made was good. You know, I miss a piece here, though. 
Oh, <clears throat> probably the main point I missed. Somewhere he made a male and female. Oh, there it was. Verse 27. I did read it, didn't I? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. God said, be fruitful, multiply. So, um, and you know, the point there is that when God created man, he created them both male and female, and he told them both to rule. And so they, from the very beginning, they co-reigned. And then um, later on, God talks about how he made uh, man and woman. Verse 18, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then God goes on to say that out of the ground, he formed every beast of the field and the birds from the sky. And then whatever Adam called them, that was their name. Verse 21, but the Lord didn't find, verse 20, God didn't find a suitable helper for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man and he slept and he took a rib and closed up the place of his flesh and God and the Lord fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man and he brought her to man. And the man said, now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. You know, that's a prophetic declaration. They don't have a father and mother yet. And be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. It's a good verse right there for another time. So, uh, <clears throat> it must have turned off the lights also. Um, I, I want to just address a few things that, that it, theologically here, where it says there that in verse 18, I will make a helper suitable for him. And he didn't find a helper suitable for him. Verse 20. Um, I've heard lots of people say that, you know, God made a woman as a helper. Like, you know, and using that word, as you would think, kind of like a, uh, like a little bit better than a slave. But the word helper there is mentioned 19 times in the Hebrew, three times for women and, um, and 16 times for God. So God, so woman was made as a helper, just like God was a helper to man, like God sent the Holy Spirit as a helper. So he's not saying a helper like, you know, a little person. He's saying a helper like God helps us. That's a good word. And uh, some people, I've heard people say, well, God, man was created first and then, and then women, and therefore man's ahead of the woman from that sense. But if you, if you use that logic, then the animals are ruling us because they were made before us. Just the thought. And yet God, in other words, the, the um, order of creation doesn't determine who rules who because God created the animals before he created humans and he told, he told man that he was to rule the animals. So your logic doesn't work that Adam was created first. And the other thing is Adam was created from dirt. <laughs> Woman was created from rib. I don't know what that says at all. I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm just repeating what the Bible says here. <laughs> Whoops. We believe in sprinkling, so that's one way to do it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so, um, and then in chapter three, let's turn there. <clears throat> And 
And um, you know this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any of the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it or touch it. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die, uh, eat or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said, You shall surely not die. God knows in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Knowing both good and evil. And the story goes on. It's interesting that the devil comes to the woman. I guess he actually knows the influence that women have in the earth. Just a thought. And um, so they eat and then, you know, they're, they're, they see that they're naked. I love this part. And the Lord comes in the cool of the garden. He asks, Adam, where are you? And uh, Adam, it's kind of uh, kind of interesting. You know, you know you're lost when when God can't find you. <laughs> I, I bet that created a ton of insecurity in Adam when God's like, Adam, where are you? <laughs> He's like, oh, Man, are we lost? <laughs> Eve, God can't find us. <laughs> and so then God, you know, talks to them about what they did wrong, and here's the curses that He gave them. And verse 13, the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? I, I like this kind of this argument is kind of interesting. The Lord God called to the man, said, where are you? And he said, I heard your sound in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which which I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave me <laughs> to be with me, she said, to me that I should eat from the tree. So I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I just, isn't that, I wonder just, what do you think would have happened? I know it's just, what do you think would have happened if God would have said, Adam, what have you done? And Adam said, I screwed up. I sinned against you. I did what was wrong. You know, I don't, I don't know if it would have changed anything, but I just wonder what would have happened if Adam would have just owned up to his sin instead of blaming someone else. If Eve would have just owned up to her sin instead of just blaming somebody else. I think it's important here to realize that Adam just, he didn't, see, he didn't just do something wrong. This is, I think this is kind of interesting. Adam didn't look at the tree one day. God didn't come to Adam and say, don't eat that tree. And hey, Eve, don't eat that tree. And they ate it anyway. That's not what happened. That, that would have been, that could, that would have been a sin, of course. But see, Adam didn't just do, he didn't just get an idea that was against God's will and do it. He listened to someone else. Therefore, he switched masters. One master said, don't do this. Another master did. It wasn't his idea. It was the devil's idea. And so therefore he changed who he obeyed. That's why the world came under a curse, not because Adam got his own idea, but because he obeyed the voice of a, the devil. Are you following me? So, um, and then he plays the blame game. And I think that's we're talking about something else tonight, but I think it's really important. I, you know, who knows how it would have changed if Adam would have taken responsibility for his sin instead of blaming someone else. But it certainly is it, that that whole idea that it's not my fault continues to this day. And, and God's just looking for you to own up, for you to confess. If you confess your sin, and by the way, a sin is not a mistake. 
Mistake means you didn't mean to do it. Sin means that you meant to do it and you did it anyway. Some people believe that, you know, there's, there's lots of Christians and even I run into leaders that have not forgiven themselves after God has because they said, I meant to do that. Like I knew it was wrong. That's what a sin, that's what it means. It says, he that knows the right thing to do, it doesn't do it to him and it's sin. You can't sin by accident. Sin is the issue of the heart. That's why when the law came, sin increased because the law gave you all the details about what it is you were doing wrong. And once you knew it and you still did it, then it was sin. But before the law came, you weren't guilty of certain things because you didn't know they were wrong. Are you with me? In other words, you can't sin by accident. Sin is a heart issue. You know that it's wrong and you do it anyway. And so they changed masters because... Because God said, don't do this. The devil said, do this. And they didn't just obey themselves. They obeyed God. They obeyed the devil. And therefore, they listened to a different master and changed kingdoms. And then God cursed them. And here's the, here's the curse. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat in all the days of, uh, all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you. Listen to this. This is interesting. I'll put enmity between you and what? The woman, not between you and the man. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Who's the greatest war over? The woman. Are you guys all right? Did I say something? Maybe I read it wrong. And between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he, and he will rule over you. Now, this is really interesting because remember, before the curse... What was the curse? I will increase childbirth pain. So evidently there was some in the beginning, unless you read that supernatural childbirth book. Because <laughs> I was kind of joking about the childbirth thing, and I got, I think, 72 Facebooks, and about 60 of them told me about supernatural childbirth. I didn't know about that. You can have childbirth without pain. You just read this book. If that doesn't work, you read Supernatural Ways of Royalty and When Heaven Invades Earth and, and, uh, and Honor the Kingdom of Honor and all that. And then even if you have pain, you'll get over it. <laughs> Forget that. Anyway, but this is interesting. It says, verse 16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Do you, let me just let me just show you something. That was a curse. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Why? Because in the beginning they were created as co-heirs. The fact that he will rule over you was part of the curse. <laughs> I have fifty-one percent of the audience tonight that loves this message. Okay, I have to read this just for balance, because I like to be balanced when I preach. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Selah. (laughs) 
and have eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Curses the ground because of you. You shall toil all the days of your life. And it goes on about thorns and thistles. And in other words, you're going to you're going to till the ground, but it's going to yield thorns and thistles. But the point I want to talk about tonight is that the the, the curse over serp, the serpent was that you're going to you know you're going to crawl on your belly, you're going to eat dust, and the and her seed's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. The curse over woman was you're going to uh, childbirth pains going to increase, and your husband's going to rule over you. And of course, for the man, you're going to work in the in the garden, but it, it's going to yield thorns and thistles. And so the point is, is that is that um, the curse. <clears throat> Galatians three, the curse is was to be broken on the cross. How many believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to break curse off of mankind, off of womankind? <clears throat> Verse 10 of chapter, in fact, let's just go chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? That means, that word bewitched means, who put you under a spell, a witch's spell, actually? Before whose, God, who eyes, whose eyes Jesus Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provide you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, Selah, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. And then those who are of faith are blessed of Abraham, the believer. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So as many are as of the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in the things written in this book of the law to perform them. Now no one is justified by the law before God is evident. The righteous shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, is, that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How many know that when Jesus died on the cross, that he broke the curse of the law and that we became free. He, he became a curse for us. We received freedom. He became the curse. We received freedom. And so I guess my question is, um, how free are we supposed to be? How free are we supposed to be? Um, there's some... I want to talk about a few scriptures... In fact, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and um, see if we can kind of... Are you guys bored or... Okay. Paul's talking about prophecy. Verse um, 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three. And goes on to talk about that. Verse 29... Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others pass judgment. 
Verse 30, if there's any revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one is to keep silent. For you can all, everybody say all, all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirit of the spirit, sorry, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but at peace in all the churches and with all the saints. Verse 34, and the women are to keep silent at churches for they are not permitted to speak. But they are subject, but they are to be subject I'm sorry, but they are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, that's an interesting subject, because let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I just, I just want to give you a little bit of context. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of God, just as I also am in Christ. Now, I praise you. I praise you because you remember me in everything and you hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of, every, of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying, everybody say praying or prophesying, disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same with the woman who has her head shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her, head, her hair cut off. For it's disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved. Let her, let her cover her head. For a man ought to have his head covered. I'm sorry. For a man ought to not have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was created for, um, for indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her head because of the angels. This is, uh, I, I just wanted to give you some contrast. In chapter 11, Paul says that women can pray and prophesy if they have their head covered. In chapter 14, he says that they can't speak at all in the church. And what I'm getting at is this, and we're going to go on to look at a couple of more scriptures in, um, in, in, chapter, in Acts uh, chapter 21, verse 8. Philip the evangelist, it says that Philip the evangelist had four daughters who were prophetesses. And we had prophetesses in the Old, in the Old Testament. We had Deborah. We had several prophetesses in the Old Testament. And what I'm getting at is this, is that Paul is oftentimes speaking to a specific group of people and he's given them instructions to, he's given instructions to a specific group of people which we have created broad strokes for because in Galatians Paul says there's neither male or female in Christ and that Christ has literally broke down the dividing wall between male and female, Jew and Gentile, and slave and free and so on and so forth. And what I'm getting at is this, is that, um, is that I believe that there, are spe- there were specific instances in certain churches where Paul gave instructions to different people groups, in this case women, that they were to behave a certain way because of cultural tolerances. And just as he instructed Timothy about slavery. I don't know that God was speaking. I don't know God was saying slavery is okay. In fact, the Civil War was... I, some of you maybe not, did, don't know this, I did some um, study for the last book I just finished, and I found out at least there's a lot of historians that believe that the Civil War was actually begun or at least perpetuated by Christians 
who were actually fighting not so much for slavery, because that, that is an issue, of course. The, the slaves created, uh, the, you know, there was a slave-generated economy. So you know, most historians believe that because of the economy in the South and the slaves were basically free labor and so forth, that that's why they fought for, they, that's why they fought for to have slaves. But um, many historians believe it was actually Christians who perpetuated the whole civil war because they were fighting over the, the actual, the, they were fighting over the, uh, you know, the Bible. The fact that the Bible is true and that Paul addressed slaves and he told, the, he told masters to how to treat slaves and slaves how to, how to obey their masters. And therefore, they, 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 many believe that the civil war was actually fought over the over slavery because um, they were actually you know they're actually fighting over the fact that the Bible's true and God promoted slavery and I and I, I guess my question is is that sometimes we have to decide when the Bible is a documentary and when is it a commentary. In other words, sometimes God's speaking into culture; He's speaking into what's already happening. Are you with me? Not so much, and, and we have to decide when is it a documentary? In other words, when is God saying, this is how they did it, and this is where I entered into it? And when is it a commentary? In other words, when is God saying, this is the way I want you to do it? And, and, and then we, are you following me at all? For instance, is the book of Esther a documentary or a commentary? Well, we, we, we teach it as, a, as God's commentary because we change the story and we make it a beauty contest. And when actually, if you read the book of Esther with, with eyes wide open, you find out that this was actually not a beauty contest. It was actually a sex contest. And what makes the story awesome is that she took first place. Because if she took second place, as the book of Esther would be a totally different story. Are you with me? In other words, God isn't saying, listen, if you want to influence people, make friends and influence people, this is how to do it, you know. Just pray that the president of IBM dumps his wife, and, you know, he's looking for a woman, and, he, and you know, he has a contest where he sleeps with them, and then, you know, you get chosen, and you get to influence IBM. I don't think that's what God is saying. He's saying that's what they did. He's not saying that's, and he's saying, this is where I entered into that. Are you following me at all? In other words, we oftentimes, we, we, we Christianize stories that if you actually read them in their actual context and content, they're not saying what we want them to say. And, and, and it was cousin Mordecai who encouraged her to do that. Now, am I saying she did wrong? I, I don't know. I'm simply telling you that the story is not as nice as we're making it. And you'll notice that if you, if you go back and read the book of Esther, which I just did recently, it's the king slept with the women at night and in the morning, and they were coming out of his harem. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the story that you'd like it to be. And what I'm getting at is this, that oftentimes God speaks into something that's happening, and he, t- and he tells them what to do in, in a society that's already happening. The, you know, some of the questions that, that I have is like, is the book of Acts a commentary or documentary? In other words, if, is God saying, this is how I want you to do it? Or is God saying, this is how they did it and this is where I entered into that? And probably the answer to the book of Acts is probably both. I mean, they wouldn't feed the Hinalistic Jews that were widows. They wouldn't feed them specifically because they were Hinalistic. Do you think that was okay? Do you think God was saying, listen, don't feed them? And who was that who made those decisions? Remember, it was the apostles waiting on tables. 
until they changed, until they chose seven people to wait on tables. So it was the apostles who wouldn't wait on the tables of Hinalistic Jews. And if you look how they solved the problem, they chose seven men, and those names are all Hinalistic Jews. So they solved the problem by having Hinalistic Jews wait on Hinalistic Jews. Was God saying, this is the way to do life? I don't know. I'm simply saying, we have to decide what things are commentary and what things are documentary. Now, when we're talking about women in ministry, if you take three or four verses, which I just read one, and you say, well, this is what God, this is what, this is how God feels about women. Well, that would be fine if those are the only verses in the Bible about women. They just don't happen to be. And what I'm, and, and, and here's where, what I'm saying. Some people are like, you're just trying to make the Bible say whatever, whatever you want it to say. No, there's a whole bunch of verses, and we'll read some of them tonight, that empower women and that, that actually, and that actually commission women, and women were actually commissioned from the beginning of creation. That's, that's clear. Now, let me give you an example. There are, there are, Jesus said, in fact, I think I wrote down a verse. Let me see if I did. Um, Testing, here we go. Yes, Matthew uh, 15, 4, for instance. Jesus says this. In fact, let's go Luke 14, 26. I'm just giving you an example. Luke 14, 26. Luke 14:26 says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple." Let me just read it to you one more time. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife, his children and his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is the one who said that. In Matthew 15:4, listen to this. Verse 4, Jesus says, For God said, Honor your mother and father, and he who speaks evil of his father and mother is to be put to death. Which is it? What I'm getting at is that we have contrasting verses. We have, we have verses say, Unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. And then Jesus says over here, Listen, anyone who doesn't honor their mother and father is to be put to death. He tells the, the Pharisees, listen, you call everything, you call, you call everything Corbin, a gift to God, and you give everything to the church, and you don't give anything to your parents, and therefore, you've annulled the law. Honor your mother and father. And what I'm getting at is that, here we have contrasting verses. Can, are you with me? The Bible's written in a paradox. So do I honor my mother and father? Do I hate my mother and father? Do you, do you see that we, we, have a, we have Jesus speaking about parents in two different ways. We have Jesus speaking about women in two different ways. Which is it? It depends on the context. We don't have Jesus speaking two different ways on homosexuality. The Bible never speaks about homosexuality in a positive sense, ever one place in the whole Bible. For instance, I'm just giving you an example. In other words, if some people are like, well, you know what, you're not obeying the Bible because you're allowing women to teach and preach. 
Well, there are many verses where, where women taught, preached. They were judges in the Old Testament. They were prophetesses in the New Testament. They were being, there's a, a, a list of an apostle in the New Testament who was a woman. Uh, Priscilla was mentioned before Aquila. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. There's, there's no male and female in Christ. There are many verses that empower women. There is not one verse that empowers a homosexual to a homosexual lifestyle. I'm not preaching about homosexuals. I'm giving you a simple example that some people are like, well, you just make the Bible say whatever it wants. No, the Bible's written oftentimes in a paradox, and we need the Holy Spirit to know when to apply what verse to what. But where the Bible is always constant, you don't have a right to any other opinion. You can't empower homosexuals. Listen, I'm not mad at homosexuals. It's a sin just like any other sin. If you lie, it's the same, you're in the same boat. So uh, I'm using it simply as an example. There is not one single verse that empowers a homosexual. There is no paradox verse for homosexual, for homosexuality. And by the way, I don't believe people are homosexuals. I believe it's a sin. I don't think that you're, you are your sin. Any more than if you lie, you're a liar. As soon as you believe that, then you can't stop lying because you'll always reproduce what you think you are. It's an alias name. It's one of the reasons why you can't break the pattern because you've convinced yourself you are something that God doesn't call you. Okay, so what, so what I'm getting at is this. If you take the three verses that disempower women, and there are three strong verses in the Bible that disempower women, and you take those as the only verses that God ever spoke about women, then, of course, you can't have women do much of anything besides come to church and listen. But those are not the only verses in the Bible. They are if you're an insecure man. Now, let me, let me just give you a couple of more things before we go on and share some more verses. We have to realize this, that in, in the days that the Bible was written, and of course it was written over many you know, thousands of years, but in most of the cultures that the Bible was penned, women were considered possessions. So you have to understand that when the Bible, when, when, God's, when God's inspiring people to write the Bible, they're writing it from a, a culture that would be much like Afghanistan 50 years ago. Where women were possessions. Are, are you understanding this? So when you read the Bible from the, from, from the culture it was written in, there is no question that even the fact that Paul says, I don't allow a woman to teach, is actually positive that women were actually teaching. In other words, you wouldn't go to Afghanistan 50 years ago and say, I don't allow women to teach. No one would have to write that because they don't. They're possessions. They don't even get taught. They don't go to school. They don't, are, are you with me? The fact, even the fact that Paul has to tell the believers, hey, I'm not allowing women in your church to teach. It's actually a sign that they were. And he's going, I'm not letting them do that. Can you see? So what I'm saying is when we look back, when we look back here 2,000 years ago, do you remember, it, 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 you know, I forget what date women could vote. Was it 1947 or something? I'm, I had it written down a while ago. Anyway, I mean, in our country, a woman couldn't vote till like the 40s. Couldn't vote. Didn't have a vote. 
1940 years, or 19, let's say 1900 years after the Bible was written, women still couldn't vote. In our country. So we're looking, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at it 2000 years later, and we're going, that Bible's restrictive. Like, in the culture was written in, it was so revelatory and empowering that it scared men. Listen, th- listen to what, what um, first Peter's, w- listen to what Peter said. I love Peter because he was married. <clears throat> you could tell Paul wasn't. I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm just saying when he wrote that down, he would have gotten in trouble when he got home. <laughs> Remember who the devil went to first? The devil knows who's in charge of a real home. Okay, that was mostly joking. Verse 7. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding ways with someone who's weaker since she's a woman and show her honor as a fell heir. Everybody say fell heir. Of the same grace of life. Listen to this. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Did you, did you get what he said right there? He said, listen, even though, let me just put it in modern terms. Even though you could beat her up, you're stronger than you are, she is physically. If you don't treat her as a joint heir, God's not going to listen to your prayers. That's written in an Afghan culture. And he says... You husbands, you may be able to, you may be stronger physically than your wives, but if you don't treat her as a joint, a joint heir, somebody who has equal authority as you, God's not listening to your prayers. So, well, he called her weaker. Listen, he's just saying the obvious. You don't. He's not. He's not trying to be politically correct. He's saying, listen, okay, you can beat your wife up. It doesn't give you a right to treat her as someone who's below you. Just because she's physically weaker than you doesn't mean she should be spiritually weaker than you or that she doesn't have the same leadership lid you have. I like this. In Proverbs chapter 8, you want to just, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. I wouldn't lie to you. I don't read well enough to lie to you. Verse 11, it's talking about wisdom. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. And it goes on to talk about wisdom was there when the foundations of the earth were made. And it goes on like that. And throughout the, throughout the chapter, it calls her her. Her. You know the greatest empowering principle of the Bible is that Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And he intends to put her in charge of everything. The woman. Hmm. 
<laughs> Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. It's really tense in here. It might just be me. Maybe something is happening inside of me. I'm glad Kathy's not here tonight. Verse 22. This is the part we yell. Wives, be subjected to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, listen to this. For a husband is head of the wife as, everybody say as, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Selah. Think through this, guys. Verse 24. But as the church is subjected to Christ, so also wives ought to be to husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love your wives as you love your own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the Members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother, I'm sorry, his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference with Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you uh, also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must also see that she respects her husband. And it goes on like that. How, how did Christ love the church? He loved the church enough. Listen, do you, do you understand that God was the head of man? No, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man, and man's the head of woman. What did Christ do for you? What did Christ do for man? He made his co-heirs with him. He said, I'm over you. Come up here. See, when you have authority, authority, see, authority in the Gentile world is always to, have, to make somebody subversive. Authority in, in the, in, uh, the authority in the world means, I'm in charge of you, you'll do what I tell you to do. But authority in the kingdom is always something that empowers people so that you get under them and... See, part of the struggle is that we don't understand authority. We take the uh, world's idea of authority and we go, listen, you're in submission to me. That means I'm the, sp- I'm the master, you're the slave. But Jesus said this, listen, I, I've set, I put you in heavenly places, I seated you in heavenly places with Christ above all principality and power and every name that's ever been named, both in this age and the one to come. And I put everything under your feet. Who did that? Your husband. Your husband did for his bride. He said, listen, I have authority over you, therefore I empower you, go for it. <laughs> Sit with me in heavenly places and put everything on your feet. What do we do as, what, what does the world do when it gets authority? It uses it to cause people to have to serve them. And here, Paul's dealing with men and he goes, listen guys, yes, women need to be, they need to be respectful, but what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to die for her. He never tells the woman to die for him. Why? Because the person who's most value, the, mo- the person who has the most value is the one who's being died for. 
You're supposed to lay down your life so she can have life. The goal of you having authority is that you would commission her to go. Have authority. No. Well, well, we'll say this in just a minute. Get everybody too excited. We have to oppress you a little bit before you leave. I'm, I'm teasing. Please, wait up. In, in Acts 21, I think we should read this even though I quote it because I, I think it's uh, important. And we'll, we'll be done in just a few moments. Acts 21, and it's um, verse 8. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Now, it's interesting. How many of your Bibles say, who prophesied? Now, why would, why, would, why would Luke even note that they prophesied when 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 say you all prophesy? It wouldn't even be noteworthy in the book of Acts. Listen, we're talking about the book of Acts. We've got angel encounters. We've got the earth shaking and people's chains falling off. Are you with me? We got, we got, you know, God striking people dead with, you know, Herod who, you know, didn't give glory to God. I mean, we got miracles, miracles, miracles. It wouldn't even make any sense that, that it, contextually for, for them to even mention that Philip had four daughters who prophesied. It wouldn't be noteworthy. In other words, it's a poor translation of the context because everyone should prophesy. So in the context of the book of Acts, I understand in our day, if we said, hey, John's got, John and Mary have four kids and they prophesy, that, that would be contextually accurate in, in, our context, in our culture because signs and wonders and miracles, they're common for us, but they wouldn't be for most of the church. So if you said, hey, over there at the Lutheran church, they, Joe has four daughters and they all prophesy, yeah, that would be contextually accurate. But for the book of Acts, that wouldn't even be mentionable. It wouldn't even be mentionable. That someone prophesied. I mean, they began with the Holy Spirit falling on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Acts chapter 2, Paul says, It shall come about in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. It wouldn't make any sense that Philip's daughters would be even noteworthy because they prophesied. What I'm getting at is that they were prophetesses. Now, why is that important? Because he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers to equip the saints to do the work of service. If they were prophetesses, then they were equippers of the saints. What I'm getting at is this. If they were prophetesses, if there were prophetesses, well, you can just, let's just leave that aside. Were there prophetesses in the Old Testament? Yes, there were. Deborah was a prophetess and a judge. So what I'm getting at is, would it make sense that in a better covenant that there would be women prophetesses after the curse was broken? Of course there would. What I'm getting at is this. Those are, a prophetess is a governing office. A pro, a, a pro, people who prophesy are not governors. Everybody should have the gift of prophecy. Paul said that. 
He said, I speak in tongues more than you all, but I wish that you would prophesy. Pray that you would prophesy, for greater is the one who prophesies than he who speaks in the tongue. And he goes on to say that we should all prophesy. But just because you have the gift of prophecy doesn't make you a prophet. Are you with me? So the fact that women are prophets mean means that they are governors in the kingdom. They are by title and, uh, and calling leaders. Are you following me? You can't have prophetesses that don't... Okay, well, you're a prophetess, but you don't equip the saints. Because he said, I appointed some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers, to equip the saints to do the work of service. He doesn't say, I appointed male prophets, male apostles. Are you following me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Danny quoted this recently, I think it was in uh, the leaders' events, actually. He said, it, it says, uh, in fact, we'll just read it. It says, first apostles, second prophets, then teachers. The word first there, if you look it up, it means, it's, it's a, it's a uh, military word that means first in rank. First apostles, second prophets. So wouldn't it make sense that if you're a prophetess, that you fit into second prophetesses? Which would mean you have authority. All I'm trying to say is, yes, there are three restrictive verses in the New Testament that I know of that restrict women in certain instances. But the point is, is that's not the full counsel of God. And if you read the Bible like that, then you're killing your mother and father. You're hating your mother and father, I mean. If you don't take the full counsel of God, and you're taking one verse and you go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, okay, well, be careful because sometimes the Holy Spirit may have you do that. But other times... He's given you the freedom to do something different because he writes the scriptures written in a paradox. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. And that's why it said, Paul wrote that the spirit, I'm sorry, that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Because when you have the letter with, of the law, without, when you have the letter without the spirit, you don't know what to do. In fact, you tend to apply the word by your opinion, by your prejudice, and not by the Spirit's unction. The most destructive thing you can do is apply... Oh, man. I think this would be better if I gave you an example. I'll try to make it... uh, It's a great example. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said he said a woman's body is not her own but it's a man's her husband's and a husband's body is not his own but it's her his wife's and therefore he said stop denying one another and you understand what that means right I'm just being a little generic here because we have children in the room and I don't want to be graphic I had a man come into my office this is many years ago it was the first year I was here he wasn't a Christian his wife was a Christian and he and so we, were, we he walked in my office and he brought would bring in a Bible, which I had been counseling her for some time, and she said my my husband would like to talk to you. I'm like, 
Oh, that's cool. We're going to have a breakthrough here. He brings the Bible into the office, and I thought, that's kind of odd because he's not, you know, she had told me he's not a Christian. So I'm like, okay. And then he, he admits to not being a Christian. Like he, she said, he's not a Christian. He, doesn't, he admits to not being a Christian. doesn't want to be a Christian. So he comes carrying the Bible into my office. And I'm like, that's really interesting. You'd think she'd be the one carrying the Bible, right? And he reads to me those verses, you know, explicitly, not like I just described to you. And he says to me, she won't do that with me. And it says right here, she should. I said, that's very interesting that you'll use the book when it gets you what you want. But you'll not live for the author. But listen, Christians do it all the time. What happens when you use the book to get what you want? And obviously, now I'm not talking about the act of marriage. I'm, I'm using, I use that as an example. But the most dangerous thing in the world is when we read the book to get what we want instead of what he wants. In other words, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm insecure, and please, I understand that this is a complicated issue and it's, it's, it's not being solved uh, theologically very well by a few scriptures I shared. I mean, this deserves a book. To do it really well. Because what's happened in this room is people who already agree with me are celebrating. And the people who don't, some got up and left. And others are sitting here going, you're not, you're not sharing some of the other verses. And I'm like, I, I understand that this is a more complicated issue than I'm, than I'm sharing. But what makes it really complicated is when you're insecure and you need to use the book to get your way. And my, this, is my, this is my personal belief. When you do that, even though you're using the scripture, I believe that it's, it's witchcraft. It's what the devil did to Jesus. He used the scripture against him to get what he wanted. He didn't believe the book, but he knew that Jesus did, so he used it against him. And, and part of the struggle is that in this women-men issue is that when we get insecure, we use the book to get people to do what we need them to do because we're insecure and we don't know how to empower people. So at least we can keep 49% of the people on the planet under control. And I think it's time for us to really begin to empower women. I think we need apostles and prophets who are women and teachers and pastors. Who do I miss? Evangelists, saints, leaders. And I think that God would like to undo the curse. Maybe he's waiting for permission from men. A bunch of ladies are going, no, he isn't. (laughs) No, he isn't. (laughs) Okay. I don't know how dangerous this could be. You know, Bill taught us a long time ago that when we react to bad doctrine, we we ultimately create something that's worse than what we're reacting to. 
And I think that um, I think that the religious oppression. Now, this is my opinion, not the opinion of our sponsors, not anything I've ever talked to anyone else about. So I, I don't know if it's the opinion of anyone else in our house. But I think that the feminist movement is a reaction to the religious spirit that oppresses women. And I, th- and I think it created a worse condition than you had before. It's a, just a new type of oppression. And I think that God wants to launch women on Mother's Day. I'm thankful because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for women. When I, when I read First Peter, when Peter says a woman's a weaker vessel, I'm like, written by someone who's never had a baby. <laughs> so, um, okay. Mm. Let's just pray for a minute. No, I have some ideas. I just don't serve the Lord. what we're supposed to do here. Thank you, Lord. I just have this sense like that the Lord so celebrates women. I heard um, Graham Cook, man, he made me cry in, in Australia three years ago, I think it was. He started sharing about the bride, and he was going back and forth between the natural and the physical. No, natural and spiritual. And he said, um, and, he, and he was making these statements, and he said, The bride was born to be adored. She was born to be adored. Well, it's like, man, that's the Lord. And um, I just feel like we're supposed to do something tonight. I know we've we've done several things before. Maybe it's just it just could be for me. It could be my own issue. Everything I preached tonight could totally be for me. No doubt about it, it's for me. <laughs> Maybe you were just in on a private conversation. What we need wisdom. Lord, we just pray right now for wisdom, and we know wisdom is a her. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Father, we just pray right now that you would give us wisdom. And we just we, we pray that you would just begin to release wisdom as we release our women. That we would be like Mordecai. We'd be like Jesus, empowering the bride, co-laboring with the bride. Father, we just pray for that right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Well, I was going to have every woman that feels oppressed stand up, but then I'm, I was afraid that could cause marriage problems. <laughs> so why don't the women just stand up? <laughs> all, all y'all women, stand up. We're just going to pray for you right there. You know, just in the statement that Peter quoted out of Joel in Acts 2.17, 
Because in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What a revolutionary verse written in an oppressive culture for women. You know, Jesus had women around him all the time. We weren't even supposed to talk to women. They were all part of his ministry team. It was so amazing, you know. And so um, I just, you know, the the first uh, evangelist in the Bible was a woman. First one to tell that Jesus was alive was a woman. And um, the, the list goes on and on. Jesus, Jesus had a real healthy affection for women. He had them around him all the time. Empowered them, loved on them, and taught them. And so I just, I just really want to see this broken over us. I, I think that we've done a good job at Bethel. At least I know that we're walking in what we know. And, but I think there's more. There's more for us. There's more for our movement. And most importantly, there's more for the, for the nations. And we're, we're called to the nations. And so I want us, um, guys, I just want you to lay your hands on their shoulders. Specifically, just put your hand on their shoulders, would you please? Guys, you can get up if you need to and move around. We've got a bunch of women who don't have... <laughs> I don't know what it's going to create for a woman to, that didn't get prayed for like that. So, If you don't have anybody uh, putting hands on your shoulders, would you uh, just raise your hand? We'll make sure we get people to you. It's all right. We'll get everybody... Okay, we get everybody. So let's just pray right now. Holy Spirit, we just release a governing anointing over our women. Father, we thank you for them. We pray, God, we just empower them right now. We just release them into um, into places of authority. Into we 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 pray, Lord, just like uh, you made us co-reigners with you, Lord. We want to co-reign. We want them to co-reign with us. We want them to be co-heirs with us. Father, we just pray right now a release over every woman that's been oppressed in this place, that's been abused by authority, by, especially by men. And we, just, we ask you for forgiveness right now. Uh, fathers and brothers and uh, husbands and, and just men in general who have oppressed women. We ask you for forgiveness and we, just, we release the forgiveness of God over men who have oppressed women. And, Lord, we just pray for the healing of hearts. And we, we pray that you would just minister to the deepest portions and places in women right now. In Jesus' name, Whew, something very powerful started happening just a minute ago. This feels like you've been plowing all night. And something powerful is just starting to happen. Holy Spirit, we just release. Let the dam break. Pour out your spirit on our women. Pour out your spirit on our women right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I just remind you of your promise that you pour out your spirit on our daughters, on our women, on our mothers. Holy Spirit, just fall on them right now, we pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we break off chains, we break off religious mindsets. The people who are watching by Bethel TV right now, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would just break off chains from them. 
Man, I see people in other countries watching this podcast. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, this is crazy. I just, what, I've never seen this before in my life. I see movements. I see movements. This is crazy. I, it's a men's movement, not a women's movement. Empowering women. And I see uh, women that have head coverings on. Uh, and and uh, uh, they look like they're. Um, I'm just getting the pictures in my mind, in my spirit. Of, uh, they they look uh, like uh, Indian, like India, uh, Muslims, um, Hindus. Lord, I just release right now. I don't know what all that's about, honestly. It's just, it's just coming in pictures. But who, Lord, wherever this is going right now, we pray that you would start men's movements. That empower women in the highest places. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray for the women of Afghanistan and Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and over in Iraq and Iran, and in uh, in Africa, in in Mexico, and in Indonesia, India. Lord, we just release right now. We just release a spirit. I don't know. It's raining. Holy Spirit's raining on women. I think it's raining on all, the Holy Spirit's raining on all flesh. It just happens to include women specifically. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now. Uh, it's just like, uh, the, it's raining, but it's, uh, mm, I see this picture of chains that they're melting with the rain. Almost like they're, uh, you know, made out of like, uh, soap or something, you know? And Lord, I just release right now the reign of God over countries. Uh, China. Oh, man, something's happening right now in China. I mean, I mean, as we're speaking, as we're praying together over China. Lord, we just pray right now for value for women over China. It's, there's an earthquake. Um, not, not physical. Not physical. It's in the spirit. Over, we don't want any earthquakes in China. But there's something happened with the topography of the spirits, what I'm getting at. And Lord, we just pray that it would break off the chains of oppression. Thousands of years of oppression. Yeah, over America too, Lord. We just pray for there to be a shaking, a good shaking. That you would empower our women over in Europe. And Well, Lord. Lord, I, I pray for, the, for healing for everyone, um, for women who have reacted Instead of respond. And, uh, and oh boy, I know this is to be taken wrong. I hope you hear my heart. That, that they've taken on masculine roles to try to be valued. And Lord, I just pray, I thank you for our women that, that, they are, that they are valued just as they are. They're, they're, they carry as much value as a man without having to be a man. That makes sense. Lord, we just we release that over them right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Uh, some kind of groaning deep. Lord, we just release that. I know. Just, let's pray just another minute. Something stirring. Brooding. Groaning. Lord, we just release right now. We release our women from the oppression of the devil. Enmity, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and her seed. Lord, we just pray right now that you would crush 
there would be a crushing of the head. The woman would crush the head and her seed. And uh, fulfilled in Jesus, but in all of the sons and daughters of God. Lord, we pray for that right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sherry, you have something you want to pray at all? Is something going on? Stay in this mode for just another minute. The Lord reminded me of a, actually a sozo I went through some time ago. And uh, I have a lot of government in my uh, family history. And because of divorce, was cut off from, those, from that whole line of my family, actually. But what the Lord showed me was there was this picture of kind of like the Lincoln Monument, you know. The, and there was an, a, an extension cord running around. You know how when you're in a prophetic moment and so-so, God just shows you pictures? Well, there was a cord running around the back of this governmental monument and you know they they asked me well what do you think that is so I followed it in my vision and around it was disconnected from the wall the 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 power source was disconnected and I just it it, for me it was like the Lord was re just plugging in the ability to have that governmental authority in the church again Mm -hmm. and so in my sozo I just Pick that thing up and plug it right back in the wall. <laughs> so I, that just came to my mind tonight. So why don't you just pray that over women right, right. now? Lord, you're the power source. You're the power source, God. And we just, mm-hmm. we just right now, just, just because you've given us authority, we just plug that thing back in in our lives. That what's been taken away from us, Lord... That you're ordaining tonight, tonight is the night, that you're allowing us to plug that thing back in the wall. So just pick it up right now and plug it back in. We receive that power source, Lord. We receive it. Hmm. That's right. Thank you, Lord, for letting us walk in authority. Thank you, Hmm. Lord. May the force be with you. Yes. So let it be written. (laughs) Let it be written, so let it be done. 